Did you know that music can accelerate child brain development and strengthen intellectual, emotional, and motor skills as well as overall literacy? Bringing music into the classroom can help kids explore the mind-body connection and become comfortable with self-expression. Sadly, many children's music programs are lacking in the resources they need to let kids explore this creative space. That's why Osiris is very happy to partner with the Mockingbird Foundation. Founded in 1996, the Mockingbird Foundation is a volunteer-run nonprofit organization dedicated to improving access to music education for America's youth. Each year, the foundation awards grants to dozens of music education programs and funds those grants through a combination of fundraising, publishing, and the curation of Fish.net, one of the earliest internet fan communities. Mockingbird is entirely volunteer with no staff, no salaries, and no office. So every dollar really does make a difference in providing children's music programs with the staffing, instruments, and support they need. The foundation gives over $100,000 to $150,000 every year in grants. To donate or learn more, visit mbird.org. That's M-B-I-R-D dot org. beyond the pond we wanted to tell you about another fantastic podcast in osiris media amigos with mike finoya mike is a stand-up comedian and all-around great guy and he runs a fantastic podcast called amigos where he interviews people from the fish world from the larger entertainment world as well as does deep dives tour recaps lots of really great stuff the dude loves fish loves the Grateful Dead, loves the whole jam band scene, is a huge part of all of this, and uh, does a really great job bringing you along for a really cool insider's view into what it's like both working in the entertainment industry as well as being a huge fan of Fish and the Dead. Yeah, Mike is a very funny guy. He's a big music fan. He's done things on his podcast, like he's done a two-part interview with... um, Uchil Burbridge, of course, the bass player, once of the Almonds, now of Dead & Co. I think he did a very funny interview with Ryan Stasek from, from Umphreys McGee, of course. He's interviewed Carl Denson. He's just, uh, he's a good guy to be around. A few times I've had a chance to hang out with him. We've definitely had a good time. And I think you'll uh, enjoy his podcast, Amigos, on Osiris Media. Absolutely. One thing you guys need to check out if you haven't listened yet is Mike's sub-series, Still Chasing. Mike Fenoya and Mike Shields, another fantastic member of Osiris Media, sit down and chronicle Mike's uh, love affair with Fish, his introduction to the band, how they've impacted his life, great shows he's seen, what it's meant to him as a listener and as a music fan overall. That came out here in early 2020. I think there were about five or six episodes that dropped all at once. Really great stuff uh, from Mike Fenoya. So check out Amigos as well as Still Chasing on Osiris Media. And now, let's get to the pod.
folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 93 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic. They can only see things related to their favorite band and all of these statistics and everything that surrounds them. They forget other bands exist. We're trying to do something about that. At the same time, the pond is deep. The pond is wide. Anybody who's just looking for some new music is very welcome here. The pond is deep and wide, and at a time like this, in a world like this, The pond needs to be deep and wide, and we're here for you guys, dear listener, dear friends. Just like we know many of you would be here for us, it's a time without content. It's a time, I don't want to make light of it, it's March 13th when we're recording this. We have no idea what the world is going to look and feel like when uh, this episode drops on uh, March 23rd. Um, 23rd or 25th? I don't know, one of those days. Yeah, one of those two. Yeah. Two weeks from now, <laughs> ten days from now, whatever. Uh, but whenever it drops, I don't want to make light of it. I hope that the that everyone out there who's listening to this, who's experiencing this, is happy, healthy. I hope we're regaining some semblance of normalcy. And if we're not, I hope that we're all sticking together. And like Dave said, the pond is deep, the pond is wide. It's what we're here for. We're here to bring you some excellent fish, some new music, all in a way and that will make you guys hopefully forget about the craziness of the world for just a couple of hours. Yeah, certainly by us recording this, we are trying ourselves to forget about the uh, craziness of the world on March 13th. So some of the themes you can expect to hear in this episode include brain dumps. And also, we talk with drummer extraordinaire Ryan Jewell about his new album, Mosses. Uh, TV Sun is named that album. And also, we're talking about an overview of fish jams from what you consider to be non-jam vehicles. And on that note, let's get to some fish. Thank you for settling in with us here in episode 93, where if you are reading this uh, on your phone, you know that we are covering the Funky Bitch from Columbia, Missouri, November 22nd, 1994. Perhaps not the most 2020 apt song title. No. Uh, That said, it's a fantastic cover that the band has been playing for the better part of their entire career. 
song that usually comes in mid first set, maybe somewhere in an encore is just like kind of a seven minute like punch. You know exactly what to expect. Some blues licks. Trey gets to go off. Mike gets to sing. It's a lot of fun. And then they play this version on November 22nd, 1994, that the reason why we're covering this is, well, they played a 30-minute version of Funky Bitch. I will say that one more time. A 30-minute version of Funky Bitch. So famously, if you listen to the song uh, either on Relisten or on the Live Fish version, Fishman messes up the conclusion of the song adding an extra few measures of uh, drum fills to which the band responds with a jam that lasts nearly a half an hour and forever changed what was possible within the standard blues cover. This is sectional jamming that is fall 94 in its truest form. Equal parts experimental, challenging, sometimes unlistenable, but a truly bold and important showing for the band that was working to spread their wings during the most formative of formative tours. Yeah, it's also very fall 1994 in that the band was basically showing off on stage and doing what sounds like improv games. I mean, it's unquestionably exciting, a little disjointed, but they're still relatively young and on fire, and this jam is admittedly much more fun to listen to than a lot of similar attempts from the era. Bangor Tweezer, looking at you. So let's just say that in terms of... uh, significance of this show and the run we're talking brain dumps and a brain dump jam is a brain dump set and this show especially set two is a wide-ranging collage of everything fish is becoming noted or notorious for in 1994 i mean it's not just enough that they played a half-hour version of funky bitch they had to directly chase it with uh Shalzahav in hebrew as well I mean, there's two Beatles covers. There's Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, which is a song they wrote as Stone's 16-year-olds. There's a full bluegrass set. I mean, you can't blame the kids for getting a little bit excited here. Yeah, this is like the Fall 94 variety show in a lot of cases. It has a little bit of yeah. everything from that tour. Uh, set one opens with Buried Alive, a song which is the signal, especially post-1995, that fish means business tonight. Uh, before a phenomenal fl- foam slides into the forest lot. And I know that there are many of you out there that love the song Foam. I am a big fan of this song. Uh, this was a song that kind of had to grow on me for whatever reason as I became a Fish fan, but I absolutely love it. And 1994 Foams are just so, so perfect. The band was robust enough to be able to really play it and like get everything out of every riff and every note, but uh, still tight and just taut enough that they were able to play it as precisely as they needed to. Uh, Gaiuti is still being worked through here and is a really wild listen. I forget how like structurally the song had... Uh, had built into itself at that point in time, but also like how much still needed to come. And then you get this ripping down with disease in the 94-96 faux closer slot where you have a uh, a, a cappella song that would come right after that. And then set two, in addition to the aforementioned Beatles weirdness, the bluegrass, the big black furry creature from Mars, you have just another Fall 94, 94 in general, awe-inspiring hood. It's the kind that will make you forget that we're in the middle of a global pandemic when you listen to it. It's just joy yeah. piled on joy piled on joy. 
Good Runaway Jim in that set, too. Very good Runaway Jim. Yeah, excellent Runaway Jim. Um, so one thing we wanted to cover here before we jump into the actual jam is, as we noted at the top, Funky Bitch is usually like a seven-minute track. It's never really something that's uh, uh, thrown out there for, you know, an extended jam, although it has been on one other occasion. But it kind of is a part of this larger web of fish history of this notion that kind of every single song at some point could be jammed. Uh, we saw this a bunch of times during the Baker's Dozen, and a couple of those performances will be highlighted here. But we want to give a brief overview of non-jam vehicle jams. So these are songs that Fish plays normally for like seven, eight minutes, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit, long, a little bit longer. But on one or two or th- maybe three occasions, very rare, the song just went for a ride and is a fantastic jam so we're going to go through a couple of these dave you want to kick our list off let's say we got more than a couple we're giving you a lot because you could be stuck inside for a little bit (laughs) all right we got march 13th 1993 wilson november 22nd 1995 free of course that being the one uh washington dc right Washington, D.C., yep. D.C., yeah. Long version. December 14th, 1995, NICU, totally classic. November 13th, 1996, Susie Greenberg. June 25th, 1997, McGrupp. Jumping into fall 97, you had a lot of songs that went the distance that never had gone the distance before. You got November 21st, 97, ACDC Bag. November 26, 1997, the character Zero that opened the show in Hartford. Phenomenal 21-minute Hendrix-inspired version. I was there. Dave was there. Uh, November 30th, 97, Funky Bitch, 14 minutes. Uh, that uh, comes right after they play the longest jam they ever played the night before. Uh, December 2nd, 97, Yamar. December 5th, 97, Julius and Slave both went 15 plus minutes. December 12th, 1997, saw it again. And uh, rounding out December 97, you've got December 28th, 97, Axela goes for about 12 minutes. And then December 30th, 1997, the greatest fish show of all time. It's one of the best jams of all time in ACDC bag. Island Tour, April 4th, 1998, Brother. April 5th, 1998, the Knee Deep Funk Cavern. My God. July 25th, 1998, Yamar. July 29th, 1998, Buried Alive. July 8th, 1999, Fee. It's uh, quite a good version. That like, kicks off the show, right? Uh, second, second song. song? Yeah, okay. It's like 23 minutes, yeah. Pretty close. Uh, July 24th, 1999, Fluffhead. Isn't that like Fluffhead Jam? Yeah, Fluffhead, and then it fades into this just like 15 minute long jam. Right. It's awesome. We got two more from 1999. Of course, uh, September 14th, 1999, ACDC bag. We actually talked about that jam on an episode with uh, Jake Cohen a while back. And then um, September 18th, 1999, Boogie on Reggae Woman. I think that's a live fish release. That was, yeah, both that, Chula Vista, and. Boise uh, were both live fish releases. Uh, jumping into 2000, you got May 23rd, 2000, the Yamar, 
fantastic run in New York City. September 14th, 2000, probably the best Susie Greenberg ever played. Uh, February 28th, 2003, one of the best shows of all time. Many would argue the last best two-set show. Get Back on the Train goes for about 13 minutes and is just unbelievable stuff. Uh, August 2nd, 2003, Yamar, second song of the IT Festival. If you haven't heard it, you have to. Uh, December 28th, 2003, another crazy, wild Susie Greenberg, which was then essentially reprised in a lot of ways in the uh, June 17th, 2004, Susie Greenberg, a jam that we covered back in the fall. And then rounding out uh, 2.0, the June 26th, 2004, Boogie on Reggae Woman, as well as the August 14th, 2004, the Coventry bag that if you have not heard that, holy shit. Jumping into 3.0, August 2nd, 2009, Boogie on Reggae Woman. December 30th, 2009, Back on the Train. August 5th, 2011, Roger. June 7th, 2012, Boogie on Reggae Woman. Of course, summer tour opener we talk about so much on Beyond the Pond. August 31st of 2012, Farmhouse from the Fuck Your Face Show. Uh, July 31st, 2015, Kill Double Falls. Of course, July 25th, 2017, Lawn Boy, which you could also say Sample in a Jar at that show, being a famous jam field night from Baker's Dozen. Next night. And you could say My Friend, My Friend, which was a phenomenal jam. Yeah, that show. cool, floaty jam. Yeah. And then a few more we got for you. July 26, 2017, 1999, Powdered Night. August 1st, 2017, Steep. Awesome jam emanating from that on Maple Night. And let's see. December 30th, 2017, Steam, which goes, that's basically Steam into Space. And then finally, August 10th, 2018, NICU. That has to be, what was that, Charlotte? That was Raleigh. Raleigh, was okay. Wild Friday night slop fest hilarity show from Raleigh that I, I NICU goes deep before going into uh, Thread. I got the state right. You got the state right, absolutely. <laughs> On that note, let's listen to a little bit of the Funky Bass Jam from Columbia, Missouri. November 22nd, 1994. 
If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly, over phone, or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. All right, guys. Welcome back. I hope that you have put your head together after that phenomenal jam off of Funky Bitch from November 22nd, 1994 in Columbia, Missouri. Just a wild, wild example of Fish's experimentation throughout the fall of 1994. How about it, Dave? It could play very, very well in 1994. Yeah. They were young, they were on fire, they were not afraid to show it off. What did you call Even, that jam? What did I call that jam? Oh, that's just, I mean, that's just fish doing improv games. I think you called that's, it a brain dump. A brain dump, yes. A brain dump. That was very much a brain dump in every sense of the word. That was a brain dump. Which is exactly what that album is, or what that uh, jam is. And that's a perfect segue into our, sec- our our first segment here of the episode, where we are joined by one of our favorite drummers, one of our favorite musicians, one of our favorite peoples, Ryan Jewell, to talk about a phenomenal new album that we wanted to feature in this segment, Moss's TV Son. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How are you, man? Good. Doing well. How are you all doing? Um... We got our health. <laughs> yeah, right. Kind of recording wood. this at a fraught time, the time of Corona, but other than that, we're doing all right. Yeah. This is a good distraction. This is a good distraction. Karini, time of Karini. Karini. <laughs> Karini, yes. It will be interesting to see how, to hear how this ages when this episode drops in about 12 days. But mm. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. A to- it will be a totally different world. Who knows? Either, hopefully better, but maybe worse. Yeah. Who knows? No, yeah. no idea. No idea. Right. But, I'll settle for... Almost the same. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. But Ryan, we're so excited to have you on. Uh, this new record, 
boss's TV son. This is unbelievable, man. Tell us about this. Aww. Oh man. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it, uh, yeah, I don't know where to begin exact, I guess with the project, like, uh, I'm, I'm mostly a drummer for most of my life. Um, play with a bunch of people, do a lot of like far out improv stuff, uh, play, you know, do play in bands, uh, do, um, some like just studio stuff and, um, through that and then i've done like a lot of experimental like super far out experimental stuff with like you know tape and and uh kind of like real real far out noisy kind of stuff um but then i got uh, at one point got a dulcimer uh and an oscillator started doing more tonal kind of like terry riley and like raga type uh modal stuff on that kind of this you know thing kind of like basically kind of like melodic jamming with it and then uh I had a heart surgery. This is like the fast run through the history of how this kind of happened. Uh, in 2013, I got a heart. I had a heart surgery for like a birth defect thing, and during huh. that time, I cu I couldn't play drums for a couple months. So I got a guitar. A uh, good friend of mine, Dennis Hodges, who's a like phenomenal guitarist, but he gave me you know some guitar lessons for a while, and so I kind of like adapted what I had been doing on dulcimer into. It, it sort of like made it sense. It sort of expanded from this like essentially three string instrument into a six string instrument. Started learning to play guitar. Started writing songs, you know, and sort of just like it just kind of evolved. Where you know I'd always done uh, done a lot of different kinds of things, and even with the things that I was doing, I kind of kept them more separated in a way. I would be like, okay, this is going to be my like free jazz thing, mm. and then this is going to be my like you know. Uh, experimental tape music thing and then da 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 and and then i got a guitar and started writing like songs you know and played in all these bands that did songs but like yeah so all of that kind of for moss is kind of like that that became a project where i could be like okay i'm gonna have i can be as out as i want or as as poppy as i want and kind of just have any and lots of improv but also structured things and really it was like kind of just no rules like anything can go uh didn't don't feel like i have to like segment things into certain uh yeah like different categories or something and so that's where kind of this came about this was like a very i mean there have been like other things along the way but yeah. this is sort of like the most um like a number of tapes and stuff but like this is the first like vinyl uh official first album kind of thing um yeah and it's just sort of like that's why it's kind of all over the place is it's sort of like it was sort of an intentional idea of like kind of not having a filter like it's okay sure the, the different drastically different things can live together because somehow i mean in my mind they kind of do like some of my favorite records like even when i was a little kid were like like probably my favorite beatles album is the white album mm. which has like sexy sadie and revolution number no. nine on right. it. like it's a pretty like wildly fucked up record <laughs> you know and that was when i was like god i heard that record probably in like kindergarten or first grade or something so like even as a small kid that had a yeah um, it has Helter Skelter and it's got Blackbird. Yeah, and it's totally. Got exactly. your prudence. They just didn't care. Yeah, exactly. And it's a double LP, and it's like, I mean, you know, a lot of people argue. I mean, this isn't like a Beatles podcast. We don't have to go deep into that, but like, uh, <laughs> but uh, hey, Fish did the White Album. That counts. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, there we go. So yeah, uh, but the uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't have to. Uh, 
They probably could have cut like piggies, honey pie. <laughs> I don't know. We could go back and forth about what belongs in the White Album, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of people have argued it could have been a single a single LP, but I I like how sprawling it. You know, I think yeah. The the like just ideas that emit it feels like out of nowhere whenever I put this record on. Um, and I've listened to it in a... We're talking about the White Album still, right? <laughs> we're listening to the... We're talking about you. Oh, the Mosses record. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the White Album I love. That was... The White, Al- the White Album was one of those first <laughs> moments for me where I realized music could kind of cause me pain, and that was a good thing, because oh, I was yeah. introduced to the Beatles through, like, the Ed Sullivan videos, and, like, yeah. the, like, catchiness. Really? Yeah, like, that was just, like, what my dad, like first played for me and then like when i heard the white album i was like what the hell happened to these guys and it took me a a bit of time like as a kid to like come around to that record and it was like a very influential record in that sense but um i've listened to your record a bunch here in the last like 10 days um since it was since uh since we got it and i've listened to it like in headphones when i'm working i've listened to it like in headphones when i'm like walking my dog i've had it on when i'm cooking i've had it on just like in the background when i'm doing other stuff and it like fits all these different scenarios really well um i think because of just like the splattering of ideas um and i'd love for you like i'd love to hear you talk about like the construction of some of these songs because as i listen to this record i hope this comes out the way i want it to like there's cohesion in like a lack of focus. Like it's, it's, it's not like you like intentionally made, at least to my ears, this record that's like meant to sound this way, but it all flows within this like cacophonous, like, uh, like splattering of ideas here, 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 here. It somehow all works. And I love that about it. Right. Yeah. That, I guess that, yeah, that makes sense because it's like, if you start to, it's kind of collaged in a way, like the way totally. it's recorded and and the fact that it's a lot of, yeah. And a lot of the music I had done before, as far as like, quote unquote, solo music, like things under my name, were like a lot of um, kind of experimental tape collage type thing, music concrete type uh, tape music, you know, collage stuff. So yeah, I think there's part of that. And like, uh, yeah, and definitely, I mean, we talked a lot about the White Album, but really like... Um, like uh, the dead, a big deadhead. So like Anthem of the Sun and Oxamoxoa, those type of like early records where it was like, oh yeah, we're gonna splice uh, some live recordings together. Anthem of the Sun, something. especially. Yeah, totally. that was the big yeah. splice album, right? Yeah, right. totally. And and it was, uh, yeah. And so like with this, and, and I guess what you're saying too, it's like it's almost like if you expect. After a while, if you start to expect the unexpected, yeah. like once you're kind of set, like you're setting up an expectation from like, even the first song has like, starts with this kind of like, uh, Danette's like strummed piano strings, then goes into kind of like a, a sort of, I don't know, I think of it as like almost like a Alice Coltrane spiritual jazzy kind of vibe or something, but then it gets like heavy fuzzy organ and a drum machine and like a heavier beat. So it's like, even within the first song, that's only like two minutes long or something, you've already shifted. There's already been like a big scene, scene change in the middle. Almost like, um, like that actually is two versions kind of like that were, uh, made sort of like (laughs) made to fuse together kind of like another Beatles reference, but, uh, uh, Oh, what was the one? Uh, I'm the walrus, right? Is that the one? No, no, no. It's, uh, no, it's, uh, 
Strawberry Fields is two versions. Oh that yeah, they, yeah, yeah, oh, they yeah, put yeah, together. Right. So it's a similar kind of thing. It was actually there was a full other like the second half of that was an earlier version of the whole song that was completely. This is a tall bearded Iris speckled the first song. First song, right on the record. Okay. It's like there was a full version that was more like this okay. other feel, and because this record took forever, this is like several years in the making. It was it was always a back burner project because it'd be like I'd work on it for a few days or whatever, like you know. And then not not touch it for eight months sure. or a year or something. And then it's like when I would have time to do it, I wouldn't have money, basically. <laughs> and when I'd have money, I wouldn't have time. You know, it was like when I was working a lot, I would have, you yeah. know, it was like, so it was always like this kind of like, uh, yeah, so there was like, there would be like a full version of that. And then, but then like two years later, I'd be like, I don't really like that version anymore. Interesting. You know, I still like the song, but I have all these, I've already put, I'm not going to throw away all the tracks. So it is very like kind of, uh, like the whole record's kind of like that in a way that I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean a lot of people will be will be like, oh, it's just you know getting the room together live and jam. And I've done a bunch of those things too, which I absolutely love. But there's something I like about piecing together songs within the studio and kind of how does this fit here and how does it change the way that I feel at this moment in time. Totally, it's the classic thing. Classic thing of like I like I absolutely love live music. Sure, but it's like I always think that a live version doesn't have to be the same as the record and the record doesn't have to be the same as it is live. Like it's, you can, uh, yeah, I like it's the, the, there's a, f- I love the fun of like experimenting with making records mm. just as much as I love experimenting with playing live music. Like, and, and in the studio you can do all kinds of things like, Oh, let's just flip that backwards and, you know, and pitch it down two octaves and let's, uh, let's go ahead and bring in a timpani and a flugelhorn. Sure. Just for the fuck of it, like who, you know. I mean, continuing like, like of... the the Beatles dialogue, like the whole shift of the band came when they decided let's stop touring and just spend all of our time in the studio and utilize these yeah, tools at totally. our disposal and just see what happens. And a song can be this if we want it to be, or it can be this. Uh, my first takeaway, speaking of like 1968, was uh, the self-titled Osmutants record that. Oh yeah, just yeah. starts and you're in this like calypso environment, and then you're in weird freak folk, and then noise, and then it just like it, none of it makes sense. But as you listen to it, you're absorbing all these different sounds at kind of rapid speed and different structures, and it just like like sitting down with a record like that, but also having it on as kind of background music, just puts you in this. Uh, I don't know, it just it both challenges you and calms you as a listener in a really cool way. I love it. It's a good yeah. headspace. I definitely yeah. feel the calming effect. I'll tell you, um my favorite track is probably the title cut because oh, yeah. it, it's in B major, right? Uh yeah, yeah. It's it's the the classic B mixolydian. It's okay. That, uh, yeah. Right. So it's like it's the, got that yeah. it's got like the fire on the mountain, fish's light, kinda like the big B major orgasmic sound with the way that sound song unfolds it's like a treasure box and it sounds like oh. are, you, are you using samples like it almost sounds like in like super mario brothers when you get the coin <laughs> no it's just a shitload of guitars actually at that i mean oh no there is another thing there's oh so probably what you're hearing that thing is it's an so i had this tuner uh not like a tuner you'd plug a guitar into that tells you the note but like something that produces a pitch okay it's a Peterson 340, I think is the name of it. Like, it's the model if you want to look on eBay or something. 
Uh, basically, it's an old oscillator from the 60s that was like from a band room or something, and you would tune up the orchestra by going, Ooh, you know, it would just play the pitch. So that's the original thing that I that I got for the very beginning of like what I started calling mosses was I would use that and make loops of drones onto tape, mm. big tape loops and stuff, and then use those drones as a background for dulcimer experiments. So it's that same instrument that I just, I, can, I think I ran it into a wah, maybe. I can't remember exactly how I, how I recorded it, but yeah, that's what that is. The weird okay. loopy, those sounds. Yeah, that sound like coins because it's just shifting octaves really quickly. It basically, yeah, it sounds like, it's kind of like the cheapest generic version of an old synthesizer, but it's really just a tuner. Okay. It's, it like produces just one note at a time. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's got that, it's that totally, yeah, it's that B, B major, B mixolydian, uh, totally like, yeah. Uh, and, and it's in, it's, it's like in a weird time too. It's like in 13, 16, which is the, the drummer geek in me. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, yeah. It's, it's got a little, it's got, it's got one toe shorter than the other. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take my daughter home early from daycare today because she was was throwing up. She hadn't done it in four days. She decided to do it today. So I brought her home, and then I I cranked up that song very loudly, and she was bopping along in her high chair. It made me feel better. <laughs> nice. So That's great. Yeah. TV Sun for babies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that one stuck out. Also, um... The one that's kind of like the Krautrock jam. That's um, I think it's MSR. It's a oh, little yeah, totally. like Modern Lovers, Roadrunner, Little Wooden Ships. Yeah, totally, totally. That's yeah. a fun rock song. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's that's again one of those like almost first song ever. Like uh, yeah. the all auspicious track at the end is the very first song I ever. Like when I picked up a guitar, I played an E minor chord and started like that. And then probably the other one was like, oh okay, I learned these chords now. I know. I know an A and a D and okay. I know enough theory that, that if you go to the five chord here and you go to the two chord here, that sounds cool. And yeah. And I was like, yeah, and totally into, uh, yeah. Like velvet underground, you know, sister A type beat. Yeah, kind of yep, 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 yeah, yep, exactly. So yeah. Cool. And then just overall, I mean, I kind of get a lot of, um, the artist Ariel pink, who's kind of all over the place. He has like a good mid fi, aesthetic i kind of lost track of his output just because he's like so prolific whatever like the big record he had back in 2010 with that uh the hit song round and round like the blog rock song and i kind of like get some of that vibe in a good sense i mean like brian was saying a brain dump and yet somewhat really surprisingly cohesive yeah i mean it really i've been enjoying the record quite a bit yeah totally yeah i never i never honestly listened to a ton of ariel pink but uh, I used to play in this band, Psychedelic Horseshit, that was kind of Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it was like... I didn't know you were in that band. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was similar, but like uh, a similar aesthetic of like this very like DIY kind of like hodgepodge, like using whatever's in front of you and put, like sort of just duct taping songs together in a weird sort of way. And then I was really into uh, RCV Moore, like off and on at different points, who was like this Nashville uh, home recording guy from the early 70s. Like his his dad was a session bass player that played with like say that again, uh, R. Stevie Moore, he was this like uh, R. Stevie super, Moore, R. Stevie Moore, super oh super R. Stevie cool. Moore, like, R. Stevie Moore, okay yeah yeah R. Stevie Moore, um, okay. and I think Ariel Pink was was into him a lot too. So I actually listened to those. He was kind of like yeah, it was a similar thing. It was like a bedroom, 
uh, bedroom Beach Boys, but like super goofy, like somewhere between Beach Boys and Zappa, or like maybe maybe more like uh, 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 Captain Beefheart, mm. maybe right. or something, but like but really poppy sometimes too, and super prolific because he would write like. I think he has like 500 records or something. He basically <laughs> do like an album, an album a month for 100 years or something. But anyway, yeah, that, there's definitely that thing of like, uh, I, I, I have one side of me that's very much like, um, you know, like I practice every day and and I uh, want to be comfortable to, you know, especially as a drummer to like be able to improvise and be able to do like, uh, you know, get be like basically be a quote unquote professional drummer that can like get the job done. Uh, but then there's also this side of me that's very much into like, um, yeah, kind of like outsider art, like weird, uh, not even just like experiment. Yeah. I love like fine, like the shags blew my mind, you know? And like that when I was probably like 18 or something and hearing things that are like made with not, <laughs> With not like not not virtuosic music, you know what I mean? Stuff that's kind of like yeah feels like it's very like raw and thrown together. Like so, one of my favorite Fish records is actually is the is the White Tape. Like that's like mm. I love mm. that as in in that same vein of like you can just imagine, yeah. Like I absolutely love it. It's got so much weird stuff, yeah, <laughs> and like it's absolutely beautiful and all these like beautiful acoustic guitars and then like the weird like dentist skit it's just like so weird it's like it's so like that's an no2 all right yeah yeah no2 right <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> yeah it's like that's the kind of thing i would play for like friends that aren't into fish and like are into experimental music or like oh you're into like this and that like and just kind of sneak it in there you know and like trey was way into the residents and stuff like that right. too so it kind of it makes sense that there's this like thread of there's yeah. a part in every like great fish show where they're white tape selves come out either in like some just <laughs> subversive humor or some like weird noise that comes in i know i saw uh one of the baker's dozen shows they played a song i heard the ocean sing for like 20 minutes and they just get into this very weird jamming and then out of nowhere trey is singing jimmy 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 <laughs> like just uh, there's like very high register he's like plucking like the highest strings that he's got and yeah. It's just like moments like that where like that side of them comes out that they're yeah, you right. realize like they can't actually be a classic rock band because they just have this secret <laughs> corner of them. Right. I, I, what did I they do like was this fall tour, I believe, when um they play limb by limb and yeah. Fishman starts singing this old man. <laughs> was that in That was, was that, uh Charleston. That was North Charleston yeah. night one, Friday night. Oh, that's amazing. Right, okay. That was No, I was just gonna ask, how does um your fiance is a musician too. She contributes to this record. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, uh, yeah, because it was you know over this process, we've been playing together for probably about two years now. Okay. Um, and so there were some things, like I said, it would be like I would do some stuff and then set it on the shelf for like a year, six months, eight months, a year, and then and actually at one point there was a computer crash that lost oh, no. a lot of, so it actually had to be like, uh, wait, yeah, all kinds of technical stuff, but like it, it got down to a point where it was like pretty much finished rough mixes. And then 
could do things on top of it. Like you could add, but you couldn't remove kind of vibes. It was like, okay, this, oh, this, this is what you got. Is, this much is baked into place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there were some things that I could do to like, yeah, it was, it was like, it's a very like collage in a way that like that kind of adds to that collage thing. Cause like in so, some points there was like a thing that was, you know, there are things that would be like recorded four years ago, living next to things that are recorded like a week ago. So mm. yeah. So there's a bunch of, yeah. So, but yeah, Danette plays a uh, uh, bunch of keys on it and vocals and flute and yeah. So yeah, it's all, uh, I'm moving my hands around. I guess this is a podcast. You can't really see what I'm doing. With my hands. But I'm like, Ryan I'm like is moving like, his hands around. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sculpting and, uh, and taping things together, I guess, with my hands is what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, we're Skyping, so we can see him do it. But anyway, yeah, you yeah, moving yeah. your hands around <laughs> is like the perfect ex. Like, I've passed this record to a bunch of people who are, I'm like, you know, they they don't know the name Osses. You know, I they they know who you are, but I'm like, you just you have to listen to this record. And the only thing I can say is like, I'm just immersed in it and I love it. And I feel like it's the same thing. Like, as you just moving your hands around, like. I just, it's unexplainable I don't, in some ways. Like, like there's just so much happening here that like you're jumping idea to idea and I just, I, I'm, I'm so into it. Um, I got to ask you, I'm a huge proponent of anyone who can put a phenomenal song at the end of the record. I feel like way too often you'll hear a record and your last two songs, you can just kind of, okay, we're, we're good you can't fall off a mountain like ends in this dreamy kind of fade that I feel like, I feel like is such a great uh, exit from the album. I just would love to hear a little bit about that song. Yeah. Um, it's again, it's a thing that like evolved where sure. it sort of started out as just like uh, synthesizer sequencer things. And part of my, like, you know, like I said, uh, I started out uh, doing like kind of modal improvisation stuff on a dulcimer. So um, one, like kind of like the, uh, I don't say like the beginner raga, but is uh, one that many people start learning first is something called rag Yemen, okay. which sort of translates uh, in, not to get, not get, won't get too geeky and technical and for whatever, like theory stuff, but it basically it's, it's, it's similar to the Lydian mode if we're talking about like Western. Yeah. So basically it's a major scale, but the, the fourth scale degree is raised to half step. So it has this very, I, I describe, I teach a bunch of music lessons too. Like I do Skype lessons for my stuff. So it's like, so I talk about this stuff a bunch, but like it's, I think of it as being major, but even more major than major. Like it's, it's, it's like major, but lifted up a little bit. It's a little bit more like heavenly or there's something about it. That's like, feels a little more like celestial and like, I, I like feel all of this. Up. Yeah. It's totally, it's got, it's, it's so weird. Like how it affects how, I mean, this is like what I love about music. It's like music just affects your brain. Like it mm. affects your, your soul yeah. in this way. Like, <laughs> so just something about the, the combination of those tones, like it lifts up in a certain way. And so for the longest time, it was like just this kind of like the synthesizer jam forever. Um, and had like, you know, good, pretty good recording of it. And, you know, like extra kind of basically just kind of this textural, I don't know, like maybe kind of Krautrock, Cosmiche kind of 
thing of just the synthesizer thing and it sat like that for a couple of years just had like a recording of it and i was like oh i'm gonna do you know what am i gonna do with this and then eventually um i was like i need to finish that and put words on it and i was gonna write more lyrics but it it, it i really liked that it's kind of like a surprise so it's like a good two or three minutes or something of just this instrumental swirl thing and then there's they're like 15 seconds of lyrics yeah, yeah. or something in the middle <laughs> it's like a weird little sandwich of like oh there's a verse oh shit there's a verse and then like snaps and then and then it just fades. It, yeah it's awesome then it fades it's got like um what's that song is it babies on fire there's the brian eno song mm. it's like it's like has a verse it's like kind of a while and it has a verse and then there's like a guitar solo is like 80 percent of the song in the middle yeah it's just um, it's like same same kind of thing where like the proportions are not balanced at yeah. all like normally it should be like okay like if there was a producer they'd be like uh that's doesn't make any sense you need to like chop this down and have this be you know like you need some other verses and not so much <laughs> other stuff the kids want to like hear structure man <laughs> yeah totally. and, th- and then the end of it has the uh it's like um uh like phil specter yeah. fade out or something or like a long calif- you know this like california fade where you sort of are expecting it to have more like phil specter used to always have this trick where he would like uh want the end of the song to uh like he would he would often go out i guess it's more of like kind of a drummer thing but he would come out into the studio sometimes if it, where he knew the end of the song was going to be and he would like air drum to to usually hal blaine who'd be the drummer there and be like okay go crazy essentially because he's like i know this is going to be the fade and his his philosophy was he always wanted the song to fade where it sounded like it was building up or like going to other stuff sure he always wanted to leave the listener thinking that the best part is just after the song has ended (laughs) like so it always kind of leaves you wanting to hear the song again because you never quite it never goes like ta-da you don't get that like satisfying ending it's always like just beyond the horizon it's like this this, the earth is still turning and you're always just missing like the sun doesn't set it's just like right over there you know it's still the song is still happening Uh, i totally know what you're talking about and i'm 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 remembering now the first time i listened to this record listening to that song and as it was fading i like looked at my phone and i said this is going on my top albums list of the year, like right now. And it, it was this like sentiment of, I just hope that this is the middle of the record. So I, <laughs> so I restarted it right then and there. Cause I was like, right. I have to like go through that whole thing again. Um, it's like a moment of clarity at the end of all this, all these ideas that like bop around and it just like resets you, but makes you feel like you went on this really incredible journey. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. And I have to give a little bit of shout out to uh, Robbie Lee did really cool flute stuff at the end there. And Eve Linker did cool violin stuff, too. So it's like, yes, it's it's very like, you know, we do this layer and then be like, oh, let's try this. And yeah. To to try to get, yeah, to sculpt, to sculpt a uh, a a shape, to to sculpt an experience in a way. I love that. I love it, man. Ryan, thank you very much for hanging with us on this evening. This is uh, this album gets one of our highest, maybe our highest recommendation so far in uh, yeah. in 2020. We're very honest. We wouldn't have had you on to talk about it. We didn't like it. 
<laughs> Dang, yeah. <laughs> oh man, thank you both so much. And yeah, love the pod. Uh, thank you, man. Yeah, love you guys. Every, everything that's happened over at Cyrus, everything you all guys are doing, and feeling I know is it's, mutual. Uh, often thankless work, but it's we all appreciate it. And yeah, we we yeah. we feel it. We feel it both ways, man. Are, are there any songs? Is there any song that you'd love uh, to give a sample to our listeners here of? Yeah, whatever whatever you're feeling. Cool, man. You said maybe TV Sun is that's it's a, it's a fish that's the most fishy one I would say. TV Sun's the hook. Yeah, but but there's also I mean, it's I'm saying it got so many different vibes and then uh yeah, there's more there're more folky things and yeah, what well, it's all over. So what yeah, whatever whatever you're feeling. Let's go with uh let's go with the title track. TV Sun will will give our our listeners something that uh, we're loving. That's a huge hook for the record. And we would encourage you all is, is this available on Bandcamp? Uh, yeah. Digital is available on Bandcamp, And then you can order uh, like the physical vinyl. The distributor is Midheaven, uh, which is midheaven.com or whatever. So you can order it directly there. Um, they've got, yeah, they can ship it wherever. Um, and then, I mean, a lot, some record stores are, are carrying it. I don't know how many, but I know it's out there in some places too. So that that's nice too, you know, support your local record store, ask them if they've got it or if they can carry it or whatever. So All right, dear listener, yeah. you can buy the digital copy on Bandcamp, buy the vinyl either on midheaven.com or at your local record store, go check it out. Let's listen to a little bit of TV Sun off of Ryan Jewel's Mosses TV Sun. <laughs> Get it, 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 get it,
All right, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us here. We are jumping into our new album recommendations. And musically speaking, we're at a good point in the year from a release standpoint. There's a lot of really good music coming out right now. Um, I've been loving a bunch of new records that uh, we've been featuring here over the last couple of weeks. And the one that I'm going to share with you here is absolutely one of my favorites of the entire year. And that is Matt LaJoy's Everlasting Spring. So this is the newest record from the prolific guitarist Matt LaJoy. And this album, Everlasting Spring, is literally everything that I want to hear right now. Uh, we featured Matt's music in episode 59, Pete's Fabulous Curtain With, for his album The Center and the Fringe, one of the early gems of 2019 and one of our collective favorite albums of the year. It's a sprawling spiderweb of ideas and loops and intricate melodies. The Center of the Fringe wrapped itself in and out of your mind and defined the wormhole listen. Everlasting Spring doubles down on this kind of earworm type of mindset, but here is less isolated, warmer, and more engaging than really anything I've heard from LaJoy. It's an early favorite for me, like I said, of 2020, and one of the three that I just keep coming back to over and over and over. What's amazing about this record is that each track was recorded in a single take on a 10-string acoustic guitar looped in and out of itself across nearly 40 minutes. As noted by our friend Jesse Jarno in his wonderful Pitchfork review, this record sounds like sitting by a stream on a warm afternoon. All the more notable because The Center of the Fringe eternally sounds like a winter album to me. But this record, emerging around the same time of year, just 12 months later, sounds like spring emerging, even though the spring may not fully come here in 2020. Who knows? From where we're sitting, we have no idea what the world is going to be like in 10 days when this episode's released. One thing is certain, we've reached a point in the year where there are a ton of phenomenal albums out that you should all be diving into, especially now that we are home and experiencing isolation. Matt LaJoy's Everlasting Spring being one of them at the top of your list. We certainly hope that by the end of the month, the world feels a lot more like this record than the alternative. Amen. Amen. That is a, that is a great record. I've been uh, enjoying that one. Very much as well. I think I just ordered the vinyl, in fact. It's uh, quite good. I even got them to put it on the other day at my favorite coffee shop. And the barista said, I'm still stones. So this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really, it's just a fantastic record. I It's become my new, uh, it's like my sleep and my awake track. Like I put it on as I'm going to bed and it just like puts me at ease. Put it on in the morning and it just has me entering the day in a really strong, really happy way. Uh, I put it on on walks with my dog. It's just, it's a phenomenal overall record and highly, highly recommend it to all of you guys. So the album I'm going to talk about is the new release from one of our all-time favorite artists, Stephen Malkmus. He has a new record out called Traditional Techniques. And this is, I guess, billed as a Malkmus solo album as opposed to an album with the Jicks, his, uh, backing band so i think this album he made um primarily 
with Chris Funk from the Decemberists and Matt Sweeney, who's uh, in a lot of bands. Of course, he was in Chavez. He's a little bit in Endless Boogie. He was um, really, he's been in tons of different bands, even like Billy Corgan's Post Pumpkins Midlife Crisis band, Zwan. I think Matt Sweeney was in. <clears throat> so basically, this is um, a full on psychedelic folk album. This is kind of like the psychedelic folk album. It always seemed like Malcolmus had in him. It's easily the one record in his catalog that seems most geared towards 40-something dads who drink IPAs and need an escape from the world from time to time. This is, mm-hmm. this is a back porch record. This is the closest he'll ever come to sound like, if not totally sonically, but an attitude like the Rose City Band or Wooden Ships, one of uh, like a Ripley Johnson project. I mean, it still sounds like the work of nobody other than Stephen Malcolmus, but the levels of laid back here are uh, quite considerable. I mean, you can just put it on. You can kind of forget about it awesomely, but there'll just be points that'll kind of make you point your head. I'll say, oh, listen to what he's doing there. Wow, looking, listen to that, like, pedal steel. That's pretty amazing. It's uh, There's a lot of detail. It's also a really good headphone record. I did not care for his last album which was supposed to sort of be like an electronica post-punk thing which kind of seemed more like a lark than anything else but this is uh he did the work here and it shows yeah i've been loving this record a ton as well and um it just sounds in a lot of cases like an amalgamation of so many of the sounds that you and i were listening to and talking about over the last year or so it's that indie jam feel to it where these songs just like spread over what feels like six, seven minutes uh, and just like structures kind of fade away. I absolutely love that about it. All right. So in segment two here, we are going to return to the idea of brain dumps, something we talked about in segment one with Ryan Jewell based on his record, Mosses uh, TV Sun. And one thing I'll say, if it hasn't become abundantly clear throughout this episode and throughout everything that's happening in the world right now, buy music. Artists like Ryan rely on you buying their records, supporting them. And if they can't play live shows right now, it's really important that we are supporting our favorite artists by buying a record here too. Maybe buy one a week, two a week, three a week, five a week. I don't know. Whatever your budget is capable of i know that these are trying times for people but we want to make sure that we still have music on the other side of all this yeah absolutely i mean i was even scouring Bandcamp today to see like how i could help out some of my favorite bands that aren't going to be able to uh aren't be able to tour for a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of making a list and seeing of purchases i want to make i mean that goes doubly for um your local record store I mean, yeah. if you if they have a thing on Discogs, like a store, you might want to go on there and check out what they're selling via Discogs.com because, you know, uh, the big WFMU record fair that was supposed to take place at the end of April, I think it just got canceled. I don't know if that's going to be made up or not. Record store day has been delayed until June. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people understandably don't really want to, like, be in a cramped space putting their hands over other, for other people's records. But if there's uh, ways to help them out, you should try to do so. Absolutely. So on the topic of brain dumps here, 
Uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite records from a band that we've talked about a number of times. That's Tortoise TNT. So we've featured Tortoise a couple of times before, most notably in episode 7, Jones Beach Bowie, and episode 55, The Storage Jam with Rob Mitchum. But we've never tackled their masterpiece, which is 1998's TNT. Uh, in the previous two episodes where we featured them, we focused on the wildly experimental It's All Around You from 2004 and the jam-heavy Millions Now Living Will Never Die from 1996, which is a strange-sounding record in the, today's world. Um, here, we are focusing on TNT, an era location-defining album that just sounds like Chicago in the late 90s. TNT is the band's third album, and it's a true brain dump. The song we're going to feature off of it is the opening title track, which previews said brain dump nature of the record in the best way possible. It's ideas coming here, coming there, coming there. It shifts, it moves around, never feels like it's fully connected to the earth. And that's really the semblance you get listening to this record overall. The record sounds like a true bridge to the 21st century, like the early rehearsals for what was to come just two and a half years later with Kid A. This here, however, is the more organic in its recording nature while previewing the digital age. Recorded on Thrill Jackie Records, the band and the album help push the label further into the national spotlight, where they go on to promote bands and artists like The Sea and Cake, Future Islands, Mary Lattimore, and Caliphone, among many more. Recorded over a year, with drummer John McIntyre taking on, on the role of producer, editor, and mixer, it showcases a band at the peak of their powers, weaving ideas in and out of each other with stunning ease and academic curiosity. Jazz sits next to Krautrock with ambient and even funk lingering throughout. On Jed, off of 1996's Millions Now Living Will Never Die, the band learned how to jam in the studio and then add ideas on top of it using Pro Tools. They took this practice and mastered it throughout TNT, and so many of these songs sound like sectional pieces that were taken out of Jed. The opening guitar is like a dream. It's one of my favorite bits of music I've ever heard. Pretty much... Any indie jam artists that you've listened to, especially those kind of on the sleepier side, think like Riley Walker, have lifted parts of this riff in their construction of music. If rock music goes away forever and millions of years from now, aliens come down to space, there will be certain riffs that they understand and they hear to define what rock music was. And this is what how you would define kind of the wintry feel of late 90s Chicago as we're moving into the 21st century. Um, so on that, I can't say enough about it. It's such a great riff, and if you've never heard it, I'm just so excited that you're going to hear it for the first time now. If you've heard it before, I know that you're going to love it just as much as you have. We're going to play a short snippet off of Tortoise's TNT. This is TNT.
obviously I'm a big fan of Tortoise's TNT. The album I'm going to talk about was actually one that was sort of featured in, um, I think my top 25 of the 2010s. Never had a actual Beyond the Pond feature aside from mentioning it in that list though, so I figured I would do so here. This is an album that came out in 2013 from one of my favorite musicians, uh, Steve Mason, late of the beta band, but he's actually at this point been a solo artist for longer than he had the beta band together. The album is called Monkey's Mine in the Devil's Time, and we're going to play a song of it called Lonely. So this is a brain dump in the sense that it kind of really like Beta Band's three EPs, and I think this is probably his best album other than the three EPs. It does everything he's good at, which is really melodic, psychedelic music, quite haunting, lots of Pink Floyd influence, but it also incorporates elements of gospel, and the latter half definitely incorporates uh, some hip-hop elements. At one point, he fancied himself a bit of a uh, Scottish b-boy, actually. But this is a sprawling record. I think it has about 20 songs, some of which are just um, like interstitial instrumentals, I think at one point there's a tribute to the uh, deceased Portuguese race car driver Ayrton Senna. I think the song is called The Last of the Heroes, which is basically just, um, I think it's the sound of a race car and the sound of um, the sound of someone talking about Senna in Portuguese. I have to go back and listen to it. But really, it's just, um, the words I keep coming back to describe it are sprawling and haunting and very good, and something that I keep coming back to over and over. He's had a few records since then. I think he put out one in 2016 called Meet the Humans, which was very good. Last year, he had one called About the Light. But if you're going to get one Steve Mason record, this is the one to have, because I think it is the most Steve Mason-y, if there could ever be such a term. So really, for like melodic psychedelic and haunting music with elements of hip-hop and gospel this is really uh, an album that you should be paying much attention to and we're going to play one of the songs which incorporates a gospel choir this is lonely off of uh, monkey's mind in the devil's time by steve mason also i'll just say that i don't think it was nearly as successful as it should have been because of the somewhat uh cumbersome album name and really ugly looking album art so I'm telling you to go listen to it now. I'm lonely in my bed. Black tree spinning out of my.
you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, by yourself, uh, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> I know, this is really weird to record this, you know, this is coming out in 10 days, I'm like, we're either going to look back on like March 25th and be like, God, that coronavirus was crazy, but kind of hilarious, or we're going to be in like a real battle and uh, things are going to be crazy. Um mm. And definitely hoping for the former, but if it's the latter or something close to the latter, just want you all to know that we're thinking of you and we hope that this brought you a little bit of joy during whatever you're going through. So um, I know that we were happy to be able to record together and I hope that we can continue doing this as much as possible in the next foreseeable future. Mm. Um, So in this episode, we covered the Funky Bitch from November 22nd, 1994, in Columbia, Missouri. A very wild 30-minute jam. If you haven't heard the full thing, it's a really great overview and introduction into uh, Fall 1994 Fish. If that's not totally your thing, maybe spend 30 minutes with this, and uh, you'll kind of get a sense of what the band was up to at that point in time. Or it might be an opening for you. Who knows? But um, a few of the songs that we played here, so we talked in segment one with... One of our favorite all-around people, one of our favorite drummers, the drummer for Chris Forsyth, the drummer for Ryan, for Riley Walker, uh, Mr. Ryan Jewell, just an eternally creative and kind soul who uh, sent us his newest record, Moss's TV Son. We chatted with him a bit about that and uh, played the title track off of that TV Son. If you have not listened to or bought that record, cannot recommend it enough. Fantastic stuff. Um, I talked about Matt LaJoy's Everlasting Spring in our new album recommendations. Dave talked about Stephen Malcolmus's uh, traditional techniques. Uh, this is that, I don't know if I'd say it's rare, but we don't do this in every episode, but these, this was one of those episodes where we both recommend these albums. This yeah. isn't coming from like our personal niche. Like These are records we've probably spent more time texting about than anything other than state of the world this year <laughs> these are great records um finally in seg- segment two we talked about brain dumps i talked about tortoises tnt and played the title track off of that and they featured steve mason's monkey mind in devil's time playing the track lonely so just a reminder you can always find us in the social media or at twitter at at 
underscore Beyond the Pond. On Spotify, we have our uh, gigantic Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist. If the songs are available in Spotify, we will try to put them there after the episode is published. Check out some of the other fantastic podcasts on Osiris Media at OsirisPod.com. And leave us an iTunes review because we get a kick out of them. And anything to increase our visibility in Apple land is good. Absolutely. So our publishing structure continues to be and will continue to be until we cannot have it be this way every other Tuesday because Tuesdays, at least most of them, have no feel and we want to make sure that you guys have some great music to listen to during that period in time. Um, We're going to have a couple other episodes coming out here this spring. We've got a few in the works, uh, a couple more guests we're trying to get on, so definitely excited for you guys to hear those as we march towards what we hope. Whew! what we hope will be fish tour this summer uh Mm, yeah big time big time fingers crossed there that'd be nice that would be very nice nice. that would feel good at this point it Um, it would simplify our lives significantly to have fish tour this summer yes and yours and yours and yours yeah (laughs) they would be those are what people would call good problems figuring out how to go to fish shows and good problems are good things yes on that note Hopefully everyone is hanging in. Hopefully you enjoy listening to this in the best circumstances that you can. Hopefully you are washing your hands for 20 seconds at a time and keeping them away from your face. And, uh, I guess, distancing yourself from others in the best way possible. So, come back. Hopefully, we'll have an episode in the not-too-distant future together. And we can go beyond the pond. Podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.